I've always hired people that are not like me, but um, I really started to hire people that are not like the organization. I hired someone who was more of a social media network um, community builder versus someone who worked in education for many years. So I think hiring diverse teams really matters both racially and in terms of ways of thinking um, and ways of doing. I'm Shannon Lucas. And I'm Tracy Lovejoy. And we're the co-CEOs of Catalyst Constellations, which is dedicated to catalyzing innate change makers to accelerate positive change. This is our podcast, Move, Move Fast, Fast, Break Shit, Shit Burnout, where we highlight catalysts that are creating amazing change in the world. Today, I'm super excited to have a conversation with Karina Wong. Karina has uh, worked at the intersection of policy and practice and scale and innovation for over three decades. She is passionate about helping the next generation of leaders develop strategies and practices that lead with both equity and impact. She recently left the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation after 14 years, where she was deputy director and senior advisor. She's now currently a senior advisor for Raise for Good, a female-founded collaborative redefining how to scale social impact, and is a fellow in the executive leadership program at Think, a social enterprise focused on creating transformational leadership experiences based in Amsterdam. Thanks for being here with, with me today, Karina. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I'd love to start off with a, a soft one. Tell me how you relate to the concept of catalyst. So I think we met at a conference and at the time we didn't use the word catalyst. We, 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 we bonded because we talked thought of ourselves as entrepreneurs. Right. Um, I'd say I'm a designer at heart, but a strategist by nature. I'm the kind of person that loves big challenges and um, I want to have a seat at the table. I'm not the person that sits fighting from the outside. I've always worked in social impact. And I try to move people beyond where they are and to think about what's possible. I, I love that quote from Alice in Wonderland, um, where the queen says, I dare say you haven't had much practice. Why sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. I'm one of those persons that um, I love to believe in impossible things and uh, many times a day. I don't know if that makes me a catalyst, but um, that's how I think about things. I absolutely love that quote. That's amazing. So, so tell us a little bit about your, you know, what you're catalyzing today. Maybe some of the lessons that you've learned as you've been on this journey of of driving social impact. Yeah, um, you know, I, I've been working a little bit on sort of really um, packaging the lessons learned and things um, after having worked in social impact for the last um, thirty plus years, primarily in education and what it means to lead with impact and equity. I'm, I'm writing, a, a friend of mine um, used to have a company, his name is Alvaro, um, and he called it Bookish. So I'm writing a bookish. Um, I'm not quite <laughs> sure what it will become and we'll, we'll find out. Um, but it's really all the things that I've learned um, having been in leadership roles, uh, particularly at the Gates Foundation, um, where I just left. And so what are some of those lessons that you're, that you're packaging up there? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I realized at the Gates Foundation, I realized a little too late that I was one of the senior most women of color on the leadership team, on the education mm -hmm. team for many years. And I don't think I owned that because there were other people of color and there were other women. And I really didn't own the intersectionality of that and the role that I played or the power that I had. Um, I found it really hard to be a mentor there and a compassionate leader, uh, given the pressure to deliver at times. Um, and, you know, what happened was I, I sort of stepped off the leadership team and it gave me this incredible opening um, to kind of see yourself and your role in a different perspective in the same organization with the same level of social capital. 
because you're not, a, I, I, I became, um, I wasn't a manager anymore, essentially. And so one of the things that I really recommend is in roles where you're at the top leadership is to play another role, because in that playing of the other role, you see your role differently, you see people around you differently, you see the needs differently. And that's when I really realized that my legacy at the Gates Foundation was not going to be the millions of dollars that I invested. Mm -hmm. It was the way in which I treated people, the way in which I supported women of color in the last, particularly uh, in the last five years, mm -hmm. um, but all along my journey, but really with more intentionality, I think, in the last five to seven years. It's such a powerful insight. And it really is like the, the being able to step outside the context. I mean, I know what you mean from the female being at the table with, you know, very few other women in the leadership positions. And sometimes it just becomes your day to day. And so it was, it was never like I forgot that I was a woman in a leadership position, but it's different when you step outside. There's something, um, yeah, there's something that mirrors back to you. And I'm just, I guess I'm curious then with those five years and that recognition, like how did you drive change and what were some of your key lessons about bringing up those behind you? Yeah, so I started to realize that a lot of the reason why uh, many women, particularly women of color were struggling is because um, we all, if you work in philanthropy and you're a person of color, you have this love hate automatically. It's just this, uh, tension that you live with. Um, but particularly for, for women, you also often have that sort of um, imposter syndrome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it wasn't just the imposter syndrome, actually. What I realized it was the culture and the organization uh, that yeah. was not supporting these women and that they were struggling with how to navigate, how to recognize, and then how to shift power within the organization and trying to find that footing between do I really belong here? Do I speak up? Do I raise my hand now and say something? Or do I be quiet? Or didn't I just say that and nobody listened to me and then someone else said it? And so you start to doubt yourself in weird ways. Mm -hmm. And so what I began to do was bring on people onto my teams. Um, I was leading sort of um, big impact projects um, and in the early stages of discovery and sort of help walk them through like, how do I recognize, navigate that power and shift it? And how do I go about a different process for designing strategies that uh, honors equity as part of that and ask different questions and to lead them through that process and to have their back during that process so that when I passed it off to them and they made their presentations or they began to lead the work themselves, they were ready to do it and they felt supported to do it. That's incredible. I, I wanna I wanna just ask one question then come back to the specifics of that. So you said that um, people of color can have a love-hate relationship when they get into the world of philanthropy. Can you tell me more about that? Uh, it's just sort of, where does that money come from? Who am I to that money away? Um, and uh, you're, you're, you're so far away from uh, the people who are most proximate to the problem. Right. That you struggle with, um, am I the good guy or am I the bad guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's profound. Yeah, totally. And so I'm curious, you know, what was some of your advice for dealing with your voice isn't being heard and all of the cultural norms and behaviors in the organization that would sort of, you know, disenfranchise or dis disempower or at least not create space for women of color? Like what were some of the concrete things you would advise them to do? Because that's a tough place to be. Yeah, well, one of them was um, to to really be curious and to look outside of education, in our case, um, for answers. So I think sometimes you get stuck by looking inside. And I remember one time my boss asked me, 
if you were to tell Bill Gates to talk to three of the most influential people in education right now about what's happening, who would you have him talk to? And I remember thinking, I wouldn't have him talk to anyone in education. <laughs> I'd have him talk to a whole bunch of people outside education to really think about the problem differently. And so yeah. I think that's one thing is that you, you, you actually, it's, um, it's training people to have lateral thinking and you can't have lateral thinking if you're not thinking in adjacent spaces, you know? So that's when I began to talk to behavioral psychologists, network specialists. I wasn't talking to system leaders. Um, I had, you know, I had plenty of experience knowing what their challenge was, but I began to talk outside community activists, organizers, um, nice. people from adjacent spaces to help you think differently about how to solve the problems that we were working on. Nice. And how does, how does that connect with helping the people inside the org find their voices and, um, yeah, and, and, and get listened to, get, get sort of yeah. the attention that they're doing, so, I think. At Gates, like at many organizations, um, I don't think you have to be a for-profit or a non-profit, it's not exclusive to that. Um, there's often a perfect profile or a profile, a success profile. And mm -hmm. uh, a catalyst doesn't always fit that success profile. Uh, <laughs> they, can, they can do enough uh, right. of it, right? You can yeah. fake it, you know. You're not really faking it. You're good at that, but you're better at something else is how That's I right. say it, right? Um, and so what you really have to help people um, understand is sort of like uh, when to step up, how to step up, what are the structures, you know, is it the language people are using? Is it the process that they're using um, that is crowding out equity or you're not feeling heard? Um, it's a lot of that, that kind of thing to help them really say, there may be this success profile, you have to be able to do that and, uh, and it's the and uh, that, that, that you really have to make them comfortable with living in the kind of uh, both and space. Um, there's this great quote, um, I keep a notebook all the time. I nice. really find it quickly. Um, it's by Danella Meadows. She says this, um, you think because you understand that you must theref um, therefore understand too. Um, oh, sorry, I'm not getting it here. You think, okay. you think because you understand um, that you must therefore understand two because one and one makes two, but you forget that you must also understand and, yeah? And it's yeah. that and, it's not, you can get one and you can get one, but it's the and in between it. And so yeah. that's a little bit of what you have to help people realize is what is the success profile? What does success look like? But then who are you and what's the kind of impact you're trying to have and drive and mm -hmm. define that for yourself and then yes. support them in understanding how to navigate the language to redefine impact, uh, to be on a team and, and uh, put your ideas out there, those kinds of things. Yeah, it's really interesting. We talk a lot about the emotional, I talk a lot about the emotional labor of being a catalyst because a lot of people would show up and just be okay being that success profile. But what is our superpower is that other, that other piece of us, that full piece of us that we wanna bring in, but, Obviously, you know, obviously that's largely the change piece, which can be scary for people. And so, um, you know, we have to do things like under, like you talked about, understand their language, understand their worldview, understand their sort of currencies of, of worth and value in order to bring them along on the understanding that that sort of and piece of the equation. And I'm wondering sort of from your, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of self-regulation, self-management, self-awareness, plus social awareness, plus relationship management. And I'm wondering like how you sustain your own energy as you've done that in the past and how, if, how you talk to those that you're bringing up 
about maintaining their own energy and not getting burnt out in that whole process? Yeah, um, it, it's a good question. I feel like um, I, I've always been an energetic person. And so um, I always tell people, like when people ask me, what are the secrets? How, how did you like do all that you've done um, and have three kids and all these things? And I, I always say, you know, I don't sleep. <laughs> um, I married well and I just do it. Um, I think I renew my energy in different ways. Um, I'm an avid swimmer. And so um, swimming is a form of meditation to me. It's also a form yeah. of health. Um, I cook a lot and I use a lot of my creativity when I feel stuck at work. Um, I, I have other outlets for that. Um, I read um, a lot uh, outside of um, education and, and outside of business, those kinds of things. And then internally, you look for people who are part of your tribe. and. Um, they were far and few between. I could probably count them on a handful in an organization of over a thousand people, um, if you will. But uh, you find people, uh, a colleague of mine, her name is Emily Lockwood. She she gave me energy and I hope I gave her energy um, being able to sort of scheme together. Um, uh, you know, you, you sort of, um, you also don't ask for, I don't, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a rule breaker. Um, I just don't ask what the rules are. <laughs> and then I don't have to ask for permission. <laughs> You know, so you create your own rules. Um, I, I prefer to do it that way. I don't like to break rules. I don't I don't like to do that. So I'm just not going to ask you what the rules are. I'm just going to do it the way I think I should do it. That's amazing. Um, and yes, uh, like a thousand percent plus on the, you know, catalyst connecting and supporting other catalysts. We know that when you have even one person next to you who understands what you're going through, it's just like you can, you don't have to self-manage as much, right? It's like, I can dream bigger and be bolder and get the energy and we can brainstorm together. So, um, well, I look forward to watching the work that you continue to do in terms of, you know, cultivating and developing inclusive leadership. So, so thank you for all that work. I would love to shift now to our rapid fire. Okay. So um, what's a piece of advice that you have for up and coming catalysts or said another way? Uh, what do you wish you had known when you were 20 about being a catalyst? Mm. So um, the, the thing that I always think about is uh, serendipity. So some people think about is um, sometimes I would say, oh, like, how did I get here? And the thing that I think people overlook is uh, the role of serendipity in being a catalyst. Um, and I like the definition that a friend uses where it's about having a large network of loose ties, uh, really engaging with people and having peripheral vision, what's around you. And I love that notion that we can actually use serendipity as catalysts. Um, I think the intersectionality is something um, Yes, I'm a woman and I'm a woman of color and that power comes from that. And I, I think I realized that a little bit too late in life. Um, the importance of relationships. I think I always valued relationships, but it wasn't until sort of much later uh, in life, maybe the last 10, 15 years, where I realized how important those are both in the workplace and to build those, uh, to get done what you want. Um, and finally, that. You know, you have choices, even in a reorg, you feel like you don't have a choice and you may feel other, uh, but you actually have choices and to realize that power and those choices that you have uh, is a very important thing that I think is it's it's um, it takes practice and it's an important thing to remember. So what advice do you have for executives and leaders about finding catalysts and leveraging them? Yeah. Um, Diverse, diverse and inclusive teams, number one. So um, sort of later in my career, I started, I've always hired people that are not like me, 
But um, I really started to hire people that are not like the organization, if you will. So people that um, uh, I hired uh, a, a woman that was sort of more of a political strategist uh, than a grant maker. Um, uh, I heard, hired someone who was more of a social media network um, community builder versus someone who worked in education for many years. So I think hiring diverse teams really matters both racially and in terms of ways of thinking um, and ways of doing. Um, I think you have to know yourself as a leader. So I know myself that sometimes they talk about those three curves. Um, I'm more of a vision person. And so I need operational and builder people around me. And I think sometimes we think we can just do it ourselves as vision people. And so catalysts particularly need the operational and builder people around them. And they need to know how to bring them along. Um, you know, someone said to me, why would I want to work for you? It's such a great question to ask, for you as a leader to ask yourself, why would I, why would someone want to work for you? Um, and then finally, I, I, I think that you have to think about equity as a practice, not a process. My friend Stephanie mm -hmm. tells me that, that we, we don't get trained and then suddenly we have some equity vision or perspective. It's a practice um, and that you have to constantly be asking yourselves those questions if you want to lead at the intersection of equity and impact. What that means and how do I show up? Those are amazing, helpful tips and answers. Thank you. All right. So what's the worst part for you about being a catalyst? Oh, gosh. The worst part is you feel lonely and you feel unappreciated. Um, you feel like you don't fit in, uh, which can breed a sense of insecurity, uh, which is why it's so important to find other people like you or hire other people like you uh, so that they can continue your legacy, whether you stay or, or leave. Um, and I, I feel like you're misperceived or misunderstood. So because you don't fit a mold, you may communicate things differently, or you may have five different ideas that seem like uh, they're not meeting the urgent problem. Um, and you're really trying to redirect people. So I also think that sometimes I use language that uh, people didn't understand, but I felt like uh, other people were using language that I couldn't understand. So, um, you know, it's those kinds of things that I think that are, are really difficult to be um, a catalyst in an organization where there aren't a lot of you around you, um, but it's also rewarding. It's, it's almost like you, you have a good fight ahead of you, and I, I, love a good, I, I love a good struggle. So, I love the idea of the catalyst succession planning. That's not a topic that we have really sort of tapped into before, and that's super smart. I mean, we don't want a whole team of catalysts, but having some for you know, yes. if we move on is super smart. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you might have started to segue. Um, and so what is the best part for you about being the catalyst? Um, the best part is that you don't ever feel bound by conventional rules. Um, and when you meet someone that um, uh, is also a catalyst, uh, you know it right away. You know, your immediate soulmates. I met you, you know, for 10 minutes at a conference. Totally. Uh, and I said, oh gosh, yes, yes. Yeah. And there's that feeling of kinship that uh, is a beautiful feeling. Um, and then finally, you know, I think it's always good to live with some duality. Um, you know, I love that Walt Whitman quote, do I contradict myself? I'm large, I contain multitudes. You know, that you can't be put in a box and you won't always be defined by your job. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the luxuries I had was that no one has ever had a, the job that I've had before me so I could create it. Catalysts love that kind of environment and thrive in that. Um, and it, it's been a, a, a beautiful journey to be able to do that. Amen. Amen to that. All right. Do you have a call to action for our listeners? Um, 
you know, I, I really, I am writing this bookish and I, and I'd love uh, feedback on it uh, as it um, is in a kind of V1 form. And I started to put some of my ideas out there um, actually in a Google site. I found one of the things as I transitioned, what that was important was to write down all my ideas um, into um, a Google site and start to reshape them. So I don't think of it as a website. Uh, I think of it as a container for my ideas and all the things that you wanted to know about me that you won't find on LinkedIn and probably will never get me a job. Um, but that is really part of that catalyst thinking and it's gonna evolve as people look at it and give me feedback. So those are things that I'm working on. Awesome. Is there a link that we'll be able to share with people in the notes? Yes, I can say Awesome. We will do that for our listeners. Karina, it's always so lovely talking with you. Um, the catalyst movement is better for having you in it. Thank you so much for all the good work that you do. Thank you for having me, Shannon. Appreciate it. Of course. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about how to accelerate positive change, go to our website at catalystconstellations.com. Of course, be sure to check out our book-ish, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burn Out. And if you have other catalysts in your life, hit the share button and send a link their way. Thanks again.